Amen. I'm thankful for a God that pours water on the thirsty soul. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, take them and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. And I want to take a moment and thank your pastor. I like your pastor. You guys like your pastor? God's blessed you with a great man and a family as well. By the way, it's a whole package. You didn't just get pastor, you got his wife as well. You got his kids and they are all in in what they're doing here. What a joy uh, we have already had here. Now I use the word we because I'm traveling with a friend that has been a friend of mine for 46 years. That's a long time. Okay, I've been married for 42 years. Mark, you've been a friend longer then I've been married to Marilee. That's just amazing. Mark was a roommate of mine at college, and we're still friends. Come on. That's pretty good. Mark and I have been friends for 46 years. I appreciate his spirit so much. He has such a heart for the things of God, too. We went and did a man camp up in Tennessee, and um, um, Mark came with me, and we were driving back, to, uh, back down to Florida uh, after uh, this afternoon. Pastor? Where'd he go? <laughs> where'd you, where, where'd you do that? Where did you get, where did that? I did not see that, man. Pastor, thank you for allowing me to be in your church. And I am already, I don't know, we may be in heaven, that'll be better, but I am already pumped for being here in December. And the family, um, folks, you're very receptive. I love the men's prayer time this morning. It was just amazing. And um, something's going on at Canaan land, you know. Uh, God's doing something at Canaan Baptist. And uh, I want to thank all of you for the privilege that it is to be with us today. When I talked to Pastor about this Sunday, and I want to tell you this, I called him up. I said, hey, I'm coming back through. We finished the man camp on Saturday afternoon. I was looking for a church around Atlanta. And I called Pastor. I said, Pastor, if it doesn't work, it's no problem. It's Palm Sunday. And I know that that might be a a big Sunday. He said, no, Brother Shelton, we want you to come. And he said, you just preach on whatever you want. Well, this is a big day in our faith. And I think the, uh, the triumphal entry of Christ is extremely important messianic prophecy that was fulfilled. So I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 19, and we're going to begin reading the story in verse 28. We'll go down to verse number 40, and I'm going to do something. I don't necessarily normally do this, but for the beginning and the ushering in of this very important week in our faith. Now, we are to to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ Every time we meet together. Matter of fact, can I tell you the greeting of the New Testament church? Back 2,000 years ago, if you were in the marketplace and you were out doing your job or out in the fields and you saw someone from your body of believers, from your church, and you saw another brother or sister in Christ, this is the way the early church greeted. And by the way, this is a good one to start. You can do this next Sunday. Maybe you do it already. But when they saw each other, one, the first one who saw him would say, hey, he's risen. And then his other friend, whoever it would be, would respond, he is risen indeed. So let's practice it, New Testament church. He is risen. He is risen indeed. 
Okay, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. But I think we can get this down, okay? He is risen. Amen. Amen. So, so this whole week is important. So I'm going to ask us to do something. Would you stand for the reading of God's word uh, this morning in Luke chapter 19? Now, actually, our text is in Zechariah, and we're going to turn to that, but after prayer, but I wanted to, uh, I just thought we should read the New Testament fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah, which will be our text. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethage and Bethany, at the mount of, on the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which of your entering ye shall find a colt, a colt tied, whereon... Yet never man sat. Well, I'm telling you, we're going to fulfill this prophecy. It's going to be to the very letter. Yet never man sat, loose him, and bring him th hither. And if any man ask you, hey, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. That's a good reason to do anything then. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why, why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Yeshua. Thereon, And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives. Now remember, 33 and a half years he has, tried, he has lived in obscurity and poverty. 33 and a half years he has not wanted the attention. 33 and a half years and three and a half years of his earthly ministry. If there was a large crowd, he would go somewhere else. But not now. Because now the king is fulfilling why he came. So listen to this. At the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And by the way, if they're doing that and they don't even understand everything yet, they think he's a political Messiah. They don't understand him as a suffering Messiah yet. And they're praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto them, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. My scriptures will be fulfilled. Whether those men are going to say it, if they don't, the stones will cry out. Isn't that an incredible passage? Father, I pray today that we would be so thrilled to realize that the King of Kings 
lived humbly for 33 and a half years to be the sinless sacrifice substitute for our sin. Wow. Father, I pray today that we would rejoice and be thankful for the king. And then, Lord, we're looking forward for the king coming back. Lord, he won't come back as that lamb. He's going to come back as the lion. We know that, Father. And we look forward to this, this same one to come back into Jerusalem. And, Lord, come back again. But, Father, right now, may we rejoice in the salvation that we have in the person of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. As you have a seat, take your Bibles now and turn to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, if you're having a hard time finding that, go back from Matthew, a couple books. Now, there are three books at the very end of the Old Testament that are written by what is called post-exilic writers, okay? That means post is after, after the exile, after Israel spent 70 years in captivity, they came back. And uh, there were three different prophets that wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God after the exile, when they all came back to Jerusalem. They were supposed to rebuild the temple, and let me tell you what happened. They got more interested in their own things. So a cheerleader comes on the scene. His name is Haggai. Haggai is the cheerleader of the Bible. And he gets the troops rally. They have a big pep rally. They have the very date that it happens. I think it's August 29th or something. I'm serious. It's right in there, right in the book of Haggai, exactly the day that he spoke. And, uh, uh, and so that he, you know, he gets up and he says, you know what? Basically, you can sum up the book of Haggai with Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You guys, you guys like got holes in your pocket. You put money in it, and it goes right on out. You, you all have been spending all your time on your houses and building it, and you've let the temple of God go. You need to start seeking first the kingdom of God. So Haggai gets their priorities right about rebuilding the temple. Zechariah gets their perspective right about rebuilding the temple. Zechariah takes a completely different approach. Both books are to get the people back to rebuild the temple. And Haggai says, come on. Man, you don't have the right priority. You need to get God first in your life again. You need to get right with God. And we need to get the right priorities and seek first the kingdom of God and get going on that temple. But Zechariah does it differently. He says, I want to give you a perspective here. You guys know why you need to get back rebuilding the temple? And by the way, those old people, you know those old people. Those old people just put the wet blanket. They started seeing the temple be rebuilt. This is, by the way, why they stopped. They started seeing the temple be rebuilt. Don't look like Solomon's temple. Not like it used to be. Oh, you guys don't know what you're doing. It ain't like it used to be. And the, and, and the people go like, well, if it's not as good as Solomon, we, we might as well stop doing it. Zechariah comes and he says, no, 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 guys. You got the wrong perspective. This temple's better than Solomon's temple. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. I saw Solomon's temple and this temple isn't better. No, 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 no. This temple is better than Solomon's temple because this is the temple 
the Yeshua HaMashiach is going to come in. We got to get this thing built, guys, because the Messiah is coming. And the Messiah is going to come in to this temple. Zechariah chapter 9. Look at verse 9. This is cool, man. I'm telling you. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9. Here's what Zechariah says. You have to start rebuilding this temple. You got to get the temple built because the Messiah is not coming until you get this temple built. This is the temple that the Messiah is going to come in. And listen to verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. About, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt of the foal of an ass. 400 and some years before Jesus walked into Jerusalem, it was prophesied that he would have a triumphal entry. I want to talk to you today about, I've entitled this, Here Comes Our King. Here Comes Our King. I want you to see four things today. Number one, see the person of this king. Notice two things about his person. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh Unto thee he is just. All right, there's two things I want you to see about the person of, this, uh, uh, of Jesus Christ and of this king. And that is, he is the king and that he's just. Now, this is very important. He's the king. Now, throughout 33 and a half years, he's born where? He's born in a feed trough in a little town called Bethlehem. That isn't the way the king should come, Right? He did not come the way a king should come at all. Nobody knew. It was in obscurity. The, the whole city was all in a bub about the taxes and everything going on. And in there, this humble little couple, Mary and Joseph, you know, Mary has this baby. Now, I want you to see this because this is so important. In throughout his whole 33 and a half years, you wouldn't have known that he was a king. The way that he lived, where he, what he ate, who he hung around, everything he did, the way he dressed, everything would be, there's no way that guy's a king. And I want you to understand something about the deity of God and the humanity of Christ and how both of these fit. Let me tell you something. When Jesus was four years old in Nazareth, he was the king of kings. When he was a 14-year-old teenager, he was the king of kings. When he was 24, he was the king of kings. Folks, he never stopped being deity in his 33 and a half years. But you say, Brother Shetler, but you would have never known that. What did he do with that deity? Now, that's very important. God allowed Marilee and I to have three sons. We've got Ben, Luke, and Drew. And I'll tell you something I remember. I remember when the boys were growing up that one of the things we used to love to do, usually it was on a ladies' retreat. Mom, bye, Mom, bye, Marilee, bye, Mom. As soon as she was out of sight, man, we brought all the pillows out. We got the records out. Man, we got our little wrestling outfits on, and we took the great room, and we made it into a big wrestling pit. And I'm telling you, we wrestled. 
Man, I had so much fun wrestling with my boys. I'd let them take my arm. No, no, don't do that. And then they would jump on me, and man, we would fight, and we would wrestle and everything like that. And let me tell you something. I could have killed my boys. You know, if Drew says, oh, that hurt. Oh, take them out of here. When I wrestled Ben, Luke, and Drew, I didn't lose my strength. I had all my strength. But when I wrestled my boys, I held it back. I restrained it. I limited my strength, but I never lost my strength. Now, this is very important. For 33 and a half years, he is God in flesh. 33 and a half years, he's the king of kings. But he limits it. He veils it. He holds it back. Why would a king hold that back? For me and for you. He hungered. Kings never hunger, Brother Shatler. This king hungered. He thirsted. Nah, kings never have to thirst. They got everything. This king did. This king wearied. This king got tired. This king went through everything you went through. Hey, know this. This is a king. He is the king of kings. But know that he limited his deity. So on this day, this is a pretty cool triumphal entry. Because now the Lord is saying, let it loose. I have done what I have come, and I am the king. And the Pharisees, can you just picture that? Master, oh yeah, as if he's their master. Master, you tell them, you tell them to they're, they're saying to you, Hosanna, praise God in the highest. You tell them to stop. And he says, let me tell you something. If they stopped, the stones would cry out because I am the King of Kings and I am the Lord of Lords. Notice the person, but notice this. He is just. Not only is he king, cometh unto thee, he is just. Now you just gotta understand this, folks. He was just as much man as if he was never God. But he was just as much God as if he was never man. But you have to understand, he was sinless. Why is this such a a triumphal entry, Brother Shetler? Why is this such a big deal? Okay, so Jesus is coming to town. Didn't he come to Jerusalem before? I mean, why is this such a a big deal? I'm going to tell you why this is a triumphal entry. In the history of mankind, In the history of mankind, nobody, not you, girl, no way, girl, not you, buddy. I'd tell you that right now, one you. Nobody in mankind has ever made it through life without sin. Yeah, 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 I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. You don't know know anything about me, but I'm going to tell you something about me. I have thought things, I have said things, and I have done things that are contrary to God's word. I want to tell you something about me. My parents never had to sit me down and teach me how to sin. We we never had the day where mom brought me in and said, Jimmy, Jimmy, come, sit down, son. We're going to teach you today how to have a temper tantrum. No, that came natural for me. (laughs) Jimmy, today's a big day. Today we're going to teach you how to lie. Man, I was deceiving people before I could speak. I was bearing false witness. 
Nobody had to teach me how to lie. You know, there was never a day where my dad said, hey, son, get in the car. We're going to take you to Walmart. I'm going to teach you how to steal today. You know what? Stealing came natural for me. And you know what? Every one of us in this room have a propensity towards sin. I don't care. Well, yeah, but if we had a lot of money and more education, you'd just be a smart sinner, okay? And a rich sinner. But it wouldn't change you. There isn't a human being who has ever lived that did not think, say, and do things contrary to the law. But let me tell you what happened 2,000 years ago. On a Sunday morning, the king came in. And it was, we, we, we call this the triumphal entry, Brother Shetler. Why? I'll tell you why it was a triumphal entry. Because for the first time and for the last time in human history, a perfect person came in. And for that was a triumphal entry. Man, he was tempted by Satan, but he was perfect. Jesus Christ never sinned. Now, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. And I want to just tell you how important this is, why this is such a triumphal entry. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, this is amazing. So Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, you all know it. You all know who this is. So when I finish reading, tell me who it is. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And that man is... That's Adam. Now, Adam didn't have a sinful nature. There only two, there's only two people that never had a sinful nature to begin with. Adam 1 and Adam 2. Adam 2 is Jesus Christ. That's why Mary had to be, uh, Mary conceived without a man. There was no depravity. There was no sinful nature. There's only been two people that were ever created that didn't have a sinful nature. But Adam number one, it didn't last long. Adam number one, you know, Brother Shadow, I don't like that. I've often wondered about that. Why didn't I get a chance? Why, I mean, it, why, why does one guy I never met, one guy I never knew, why don't I get a chance in the garden? Why, why, why don't I get a chance? Okay, I'm going to tell you why today. I want you to see this. This is amazing. Look at this. So look down to verse 15. But not as the offense so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, by the way, notice the number one coming up in these verses. Offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense, that'd be Adam, Death reigned by one. Yeah, that's not fair, Brother Scheller. It's not fair that one guy represents all of us and we're all messed up because of one guy. Oh, guys, I'm in a Bible doctrines class one day and I have a rebellious teenager. Oh, he just, he was, but he was listening that day. But he is a scorner. And he raises his hand. I know he's a scorner. And I called on him and he said, Pastor Shetler, it's not fair that one guy should represent us and that we're all sinners because of one guy. That's not right that one guy should represent us. And I said, well, let me tell you something, buddy. If one guy can represent us in sin, then guess what? One person can represent us in righteousness. 
what, and I said to that young man, whatever we lost in Adam, we more than got in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. That's the key to salvation right here. This is the, this is the Mount Everest of the doctrine of soteriology. Look at this. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which re receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 18. We're at the top of Mount Everest. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Brother Shetler, why do we celebrate the triumphal entry of Christ? Because on that day, our perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice, the Son of God, entered into Jerusalem, and he's the one that could die for me. I don't know. What's your name? Steve. Steve? I know you don't love me, Steve, but if you did love me and you said, Jim, I will die for your sins, Steve, with all due respect to you, I'd say it ain't going to work, Steve, because you're a sinner. You can't die for me. But Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem prepared to be the blameless spotless son of God who's going to be Shetler's sacrifice for all the stinking things that I have done and the sacrifice for every one of your sins as well. We don't have to kill ox. We don't have to kill any more rams. We don't have to kill any more. We don't need a Yom Kippur, a day of atonement. Jesus triumphantly entered, and we know that six, five days later, he's going to die on the cross for your sins and mine. I call that a triumphal entry. I don't know about you. See the person of the king. Number two, see the purpose of, his, of the king. And that is salvation, which is kind of what we've already gone through, but I want to show you something because this is very important. Look what it says in Zechariah 9. And I got to tell you, Coming from a religious background, I don't mind saying it, coming from a Catholic background, I love this point. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Having salvation. Now let me tell you something. I was born and raised in a religious home. I was taught, be good, do good, look good. And at the end of your life, if your good outweighed your bad, you'd get to go to heaven. Well, by 12 years of age, I realized we got a problem going here. And you know what? When I grew up, I was given a religion. Man working himself to God. But can I tell you, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. We get, now this is the coolest thing, we get a person. Salvation is not a thing. Salvation is a person. We have him coming in. Look at that verse. It says, having salvation. It is Jesus who has salvation. Jesus did not come to this earth and say, hey, folks, 
I found a way that you can get to heaven. No, he said, I am the way. He didn't say, he said, hey, I have, after sitting under a tree for 40 days, I have discovered truth like Buddha. No, no, he didn't say that. He said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. It, salvation is not a thing you get. Salvation is a person that you receive. Look with me, if you would, at first, uh, I'll just read it to you. First John chapter five, listen to this. And this is the record that God had given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And this life is in his son. Now listen to this. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Pastor, would you come on up here really quick? Would you come on up here? For just a moment, we're going to call this Bible, we're going to call this Bible Jesus. That's pretty good. He's the living word. So we're going to call the Bible Jesus. Everyone together, what's the Bible? Jesus. We're going to call this little offering, thing. we're going to call this your ticket to heaven, okay? What's this, Pastor? To Everyone together, this is? To what's this? Jesus. Now watch this. This is so cool. I'm going to take my ticket to heaven. And I'm going to put it inside of Jesus. Now listen to what the Bible says. He that hath the Son hath life. Amen. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Friend, when he came into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, he having salvation. He is the salvation. He that hath the Son you got life, man. You got your ticket to heaven. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Thank you, Pastor. Hey, let me tell you right now. It isn't a man. You know, sometimes we get messed up with, well, I don't know if I'm saved or lost. Stop. That's not the question. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or hell. Stop. That's not the question. You know what the question is? Have you ever received the Son? Because if you've ever received the Son, you are saved. If you've ever received the Son, you got everlasting life. But as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Hey, let me tell you, when he came into that triumphal entry, he was the king, he was just, and he having salvation. Man, I like that. Number three, look at the next one. Wow, this is just amazing. Lowly. He came in, in that passage, and it says, he cometh unto thee, he is just, having salvation, Lowly. I want you to see the position of the king. Because this is what makes this king so special. The position of this king is lowly. He's humble. What does he do? I'm going to ask you to do something this week, Canaan Baptist. I encourage you to go to the Gospels and go to this chapter I'm going to read a few verses from. And I want you to study what Christ did the last week on earth. Read about him in John 13 in the Passover supper, getting up and washing the disciples' feet. Wow. Knowing what he was going to experience within hours. And by the way, who was still in that room when they washed the feet? Judas. I'm telling you, everything about Jesus is lowly. Now he's coming back, and he's going to come back as a lion. But the first time he came, he came as a lowly lamb. This week, I want you to think about this. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, <clears throat> excuse me, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. This week, study the lowliness, the humility, the humiliation of Jesus Christ going to that cross and dying on that cross for your sin and for mine. I want you to see his position. One more and we're done. But I got to tell you, this is my favorite. See the power of this king. See the power of this king. Look at this last bit. When um, Alexander the Great is going to come into Jerusalem and take it over within a few decades of, of this prophecy. He's going to come in with white chargers, white horses. He's going to come in on a chariot. They're going to have ropes and they're going to have reins and they're going to control those horses with all, those, with all that leather and, and all those straps and those whips and they're going to have a chariot uh, hooked up to those horses and those horses are going to bring Alexander the Great in to destroy Jerusalem. But I want you to see the way this king came in. Because look at what it says. And having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. In other words, one that had never been tamed, one that had never been sat on, one that had never been controlled at all, but when the God who created that very being sat upon it, it did whatever it was supposed to do. And the God and the king that controls the nature and creation in seven days from this time is going to come up out of the tomb. And not only does he have power to control creation, he's got power over death. And proof of that is that in seven days from the triumphal entry, he is going to conquer the tomb and rise from the dead. And you say, hey, bless God, praise the Lord. I love that celebration of the resurrection. And that is so great. And next Sunday, Brother Shetler, Brother Ingram's going to preach on the resurrection. We're going to shout and we're going to yell and we're going to be so. Why? So what does the resurrection do for you? Where's Larry? I need Larry. Larry, would you come here for a second? I got something I, I need you to do. You know, I tell you what, we've got this. We got this, you know, we all celebrate the resurrection, but we don't understand what that resurrection power does. Larry, how you doing? Come on up here. I've never, I never met you before, but I've heard a few things about you today. <laughs> You're in law enforcement, aren't you? No, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy, it's good I can kind of fool with you a little. No, I don't want to fool you. Hey, I got something, though. I got something for you to do. And I want to see how much these people trust in you. I brought with me today. I got a 50-pound weight here, man. Right. How you doing, man? I got a 50-pounder there. 
Pretty heavy, man. Pretty heavy. So I'm going to give this to Larry. So Larry, you go ahead and take the 50-pounder there. You got it there? Okay, now just hold it for a minute. Just a minute. So I'm going to ask Larry to take that 50-pound weight in one movement, put it above his head. Larry, do you think you can do that? I think so. You think you can? How many of you think Larry can do that in one movement? Yeah, some, but not everyone, Larry, not everyone, you know, but, uh, okay, so let's give him a little countdown. Here we go. Three, two, one. Go, Larry. Whoa! Man! Do that again, Larry. That was pretty good. Whoa! How about it, man? Larry! That's good. But, Larry, can I tell you something? You can put that down. You can put that down, Larry. Hey, can I tell you, Larry? Larry, that, uh, that's real good, Larry. Good job. But that's not the test. That's not the real test, Larry. <laughs> he thought the fifth, yeah, that, that, that's the test, Larry. Now we're going to give you the test. We got the test now. <laughs> Larry, how much? Two pounds. Two pounds, folks. Now we're talking the test. Larry, there you go. One, only one hand, buddy, only one hand. Hey, how many of you think Larry can raise that two-pound weight? How many think you can do it? I think it's less. I don't know. <laughs> okay, need a countdown. Let's see. Are you pumped? You think you can handle this? Yes, sir. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Go, Larry. Whoa. Larry, you did it. Can you do it again? Could you do it again? Go ahead, Larry. Canaan Baptist, do you know what you just saw? Now, some of you are thinking, Brother Scheller, he lifted the 50-pound weight. If he lifted the 50-pound weight, he can do the two-pound. Yeah, so what's your problem? You know Christ rose from the dead. Why can't he handle your two-pounder? You know what? Oh, yeah, we're ready. Oh, boy, next week, man, we're praising God for the resurrection. What has the resurrection done for you? Because I'm going to tell you something. If Christ rose from the grave, he can handle anything going on in your life. I love the song, Under Control. Let me tell you something, man. If he rises from the dead, there isn't anything in our life that's ever going to happen that he can't control. Let's give Larry a hand. He did a good job. Amen. Hey, Larry. Hey, Larry, bud. Here you go, man. You just keep that for a reminder. <laughs> Nothing's ever going to happen, Larry. He, can, you can't, he can't handle. You can't handle. He can't handle. Oh, he, he, yeah, whatever that is. Listen to this as we close. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The strength of sin is the law. Do you understand what the triumphal entry was? It was finally somebody had victory over the law. In seven days, the same person is going to have victory over death. The two strongest things, law and death. And within one week, we see the triumphal entry. I did it! I lived 33 and a half years on this planet for you to be your sacrifice, and I lived it perfectly. And then seven days later, 
I came out of the tomb for you. And the power of the resurrection, I, man, I'm telling you, I just love that. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here comes the king. I think Palm Sunday is a really important Sunday because we celebrate the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God who lived without sin to be our sacrifice, who's going to die later in the week, and then three days later, he's going to rise from the dead, and next week, Man, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of his power. He can take care of anything in our life. But today, we're thankful that the king entered Jerusalem spotless to be my sacrifice and to be your sacrifice. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you can say with an upraised hand, that king, that lamb, that savior who came through the eastern gate of Jerusalem into the temple 2,000 years ago is my personal Savior today. If that is true, can you raise your hand? And aren't you thankful? Isn't that just the, aren't you glad you got your hand up right now? Man, that same Jesus who entered on a being that had never been sat upon that had that control, who lived the perfect life for you and for me, that same Jesus is going to die for our sins. You say you raised your hand. You say, I know him, Brother Chandler. I've received him. Is there somebody here this morning that would say, Jim, I've heard all about Jesus, and I've heard all about this triumphal entry before, but I have never understood what I understand today. And you know that, that, that little illustration about the ticket in the Bible. You know, Jim, I've often wondered, am I saved or lost? Am I going to heaven or hell? And Jim, I understand today, I need to receive Christ. I have believed in him. I have celebrated the Palm Sunday before. But you know, Jim, I have never personally asked Jesus Christ to save me. Listen to what the Bible says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you would like to do that this morning, I, I'm not going to embarrass you. And you're going to do it quietly between you and God, but I'd love to pray with you. I pray for you. If, if you would say, Jim, I have never asked Jesus to be my... I got religion, man. I, I go to a lot of churches. I got all that religion. And, and you said a lot of things that I've heard all my life, and I, and I believe, but I've never personally received Christ as my Savior, but I would like to this morning. If that's true, would you raise your hand? Is there anyone like that this morning that would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Anyone? Else? Yes. Amen. Over here. Got two. Anyone else? Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Three. Praise God. Is there anyone else? Say, Brother Shetler, I have never done this. And let me tell you what I'm going to do. God knows your heart, and it's not a prayer that saves you. 
It's not you say this word and then you get saved. No, 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 that's not it. It's faith. But it does say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. So let me ask you to do something quietly in your own heart right now. Would you do this? Quietly in your own heart. If you mean this and you say today, Jim, I do. I want to know Christ. Would you pray with me again? It's not the words we say. It's the faith you have. But call upon him. Would you pray with me right now quietly in your heart? Dear God, I know you love me. And I know that I have sinned and failed. I know I've done wrong. God, I know there's a penalty for that. And I believe Jesus died for me. And I'm asking right now, Jesus, will you forgive me and save me and give me everlasting life? Would you give me, you, God, I'm asking Jesus to save me. Now listen, whether you just said it just like I did, it doesn't matter. How many of you that just raised your hand could say, Jim, I just prayed that with you and I just asked Jesus to save me. If you did, would you look at me right now? Would you look at me? Amen. 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 Praise God. Can I tell you something? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me, can I tell you this? If you just did that and you meant that, that's the greatest decision you will ever make in your entire life. You just asked Jesus Christ to come in your heart and to save you. And that is the greatest thing that you will ever do. And don't ever be, he was not ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed of him. Father, I thank you for these who have put their trust in you today. And God, if they need other help, guide pastor on, on how to do that. Lord, we're not here to embarrass anybody, but we are thrilled that some today have, have received Jesus triumphantly in their heart. That's better than Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Jesus came into their heart today triumphantly. Dear Father, I pray that they would continue to grow. The rest of us, Father, may we live in the light of our risen Savior. And may we not be ashamed when we go around Covington and all these towns this week or wherever we're at. May people know we have a risen Savior. And whatever's going on in our life, we all say we believe Christ rose from the dead then why can't he take care of our two-pound problem? Father, may we stop living under the guilt and under the domination of something that you've given us power to overcome. If you came out of the tube, you can give us victory and help in whatever's going on. May we live in that light. We pray these things in Jesus' name.